Welcome everyone to another episode of Elbows Tight Podcast. It's your host Travis and John. John, how was that? Man, that was that was good. I really enjoyed that, and uh, I don't want to give away too much for the listeners, but that's a really good one. I think they're gonna like that. Was a a fantastic interview. Holy crap! Um, What's funny is we we kind of before we started recording, I was like, "Hey, we we usually send our our questions that we." that we might go over during the interviews to our guest beforehand. And Rob was like, yeah, no, it was a uh, questions look great. Pretty standard. And I took that as a, I was like, pretty standard. Oh, I was like, we're not going to ask any of them now. <laughs> I was like, throw that shit to the wind. <laughs> like the way he did the lawsuit, wiping his ass with it. I was like, that's I'm wiping my ass with these questions, Rob. We ain't going over none of these questions. <laughs> Truth right it was there. A, it was a really, really good interview. Rob can, uh, can, go in depth on some stuff man it was a fantastic conversation um it's it's a little bit of a longer one for us i think it's almost an hour and a half maybe maybe longer so um definitely maybe a two-parter for some people out there but man it was freaking good john what did we go over uh went over a lot of the darker side of jujitsu uh maybe some people that have been hiding that rob has no problem outing so that i thought that was pretty interesting uh we also talk about um, you know, jujitsu, what it is for everyone, how it's different, you know, some, it's just a real hobby, things you enjoy doing. Some people take it a little more seriously and how it's okay to just go after whatever you want that makes you happy at any given time in life. Yeah. We also go pretty in depth with combat or, uh, not combat with sports side of martial mm-hmm. arts too, which I thought was a great conversation. I was not, not saying that I wasn't expecting him to, but it was like that whole section of the conversation i thought was very in-depth and detail and it was a very very uh good thing to listen and talk about so um hopefully you guys enjoy it remember leave us a five-star review on itunes spotify uh give us a shout out on instagram if you guys are listening or repost it go like us on facebook follow us on instagram uh, elbows tight.com youtube elbows tight elbows tight everywhere do all that stuff if you guys want a patch we still have patches just give us a shout out or give us a, a message, and then I'll send you a patch, and you'll exchange one. And then anything other than that, John? Oh, that's it. Enjoy that unpacking. Good episode. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You guys have a great day. Thanks for listening and watching. Peace. I see it on the bottom. <laughs> you see it on the bottom? It what was do you on mean? the bottom screen. I didn't see it on the top. Well, maybe because you're looking at the top, uh, the bottom screen. Mm, I don't know. You know, he's he's in the top screen. I think it's because you had it turned on me. But do anyway, I? Yeah, let's go. On, the, on the left side. It looks like I'm on the left side. <laughs> well, you know, this is confusing. No. I'm, I'm confused now. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> Rob, McDojo Life, how are you doing today, man? Living the dream. You know, I woke up, got my coffee. I'm uh, ready to go. Yeah. The only problem is you don't know whose dream it is, right? You're just, just going through... <laughs> That's a terrifying thought into reality. Like, <laughs> someone's going to wake up and we all just disappear. Like, fuck. Yeah, right. I have some dreams sometimes when I wake up, I'm like, what the hell? Like, I've never had any thought of any of that shit before. You know what I mean? I'm like, uh, the, my favorite, though, I'm sure everyone goes through these, are the dreams where you're like going to punch someone as hard and, as you and can. You can't, yeah. And you're like, yeah. It's like <laughs> nothing. You're like, I'm a pussy in real life, too. God damn have- it. Into my dreams. <laughs> I have the weirdest reoccurring dream and I get it like every once in a while. And maybe somebody could Freud the hell out of this thing for me to help me understand because it's the same dream. And it happens like a couple times a month. 
and I'm in an art museum for some reason. I don't know why. And while I'm in the art museum, I'm literally in the dream in first person. So I'm looking out of my eyes and I can see somebody in the distance going into a hallway. Like they go into a doorway and then take a right into a hallway. And like I look around and there's a lot of people like holding champagne glasses and stuff, looking at blank canvases. There's nothing on any of the canvases. It's just blank white. And every time I go to look at the people's faces, I can't see any of their faces. And so it's just like I, every time I go to see them, it's always just a little turned. And every time I go to chase that person, whoever I'm chasing for whatever reason down the hallway, they're always at the end of the hallway turning into another one. And it feels like hours of that, of just chasing this person in these hallways. It's insane. Mm. I think there might be something a little screwy up there. I'm trying to figure that out. Do you wake up and it, like you you're like you feel restless because like you were in your dream you're like chasing this person for so long you're like Jesus you wake up you're like I'll fucking never catch them like what is going on? <laughs> I mean it usually feels like not again <laughs> like why couldn't I yeah. have a wet dream or something you know like this is what I did <laughs> Where's the beautiful ladies at why can't I chase those Gosh dang it man it's, It sounds vivid too like Yeah you know, yeah that's a lot detail. of detail Dude, if you heard some of the dreams that I had, it would terrify you. Now, here's another <laughs> thought, little thought exercise, right? There's a theory that we might all be in someone's dream when that person wakes up, we all disappear, right? That's a theory of existence, one theory, right? Well, what happens if that is true and every time you have a dream, you're creating a world and all of those people are existing. So when you wake up, you're literally destroying a world every time you do that. Bro, sometimes ignorance is bliss. <laughs> it's like it's like that's like some like second level matrix stuff right there bro <laughs> i was gonna say your your dream sounds like maybe you're still chasing your dreams and because you haven't fulfilled oh, them the pictures aren't filled in yet i absolutely love that analysis and i'm gonna go with that because that's there you go crazy. there you go <laughs> It yeah. sounds a lot John's had three sips time. of his beer i'm so. not even halfway through the beer yet we can keep these questions going <laughs> This is this is now a psychology podcast. It was a jujitsu podcast, but now we're going deep into Rob's thoughts. I'm not exactly sure if we want to do that too much. I don't suggest it. Yeah. So, hey, Rob. So let's go ahead and jump into for the people at home that don't know who you are. If you want to give us a brief background of who you are, how you got into martial arts, and uh, you, what you what you do with McDojo Life. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, I I've been doing martial arts for 25 years now. I'm 37. Started when I was 12. Um, going up through school, I, I have scars on my face. It's pretty obvious, right? I have this like little patch here, like a little reverse Hitler. Like I can't grow hair there kind of thing going on. Um, and so I have scars on my face because of all the surgeries I had as a kid because of my cleft lip and palate. And so because of that, as I was growing up through school, I was constantly in bandages or stitches and always being worked on. Um, and so I was constantly teased as a kid and picked on as a kid. Um, and that kind of came to a head in eighth grade when I got jumped by a group of kids in, in middle school. I was sitting on a bench. Uh, we're waiting for the bell to ring for gym class to be over. And I got hit with something we refer to in school as a bee stinger, which is a wadded up piece of paper in the shape of a bee. And you put that in a rubber band and you can snap it at people and it'll cause welts. And so I got hit in the back and it, it hurt. And I knee jerk reactions. And I turned around and said, don't do that. And a group of kids, six kids, like stood up and like came and sat and circled around me. Well, I was a very shy kid. I didn't have hardly any friends at all. So I was a very easy target and they knew that. So I had no one there to back me up. And so they go, what are you going to do about it after they surrounded me? And I was like, well, I guess we got to fight. Like, I, I don't, that's the only logical option here is like, that's not what's going to happen. happen. And so they were like, all right, well, we'll do that as soon as this class is over. I was like, damn. <laughs> I was like, they, they have seen through my ruse. They know I can't fight. 
And so like <laughs> we like got up and we went outside. And as soon as we got outside, when the bell rings, they just jumped me. A kid, like they circled me for a second. A kid out of nowhere hit me from behind. And then he like worked on me for a second because it was just kind of a steel shot. Um, I, I took a second to readjust. By that time, I'm just getting rained down. I fell. A whole bunch of kids are kicking me. I had glasses then too. So my glasses broke and shattered and cut my face pretty bad at the time. And I'm getting kicked in the face. I still have a piece of like scar on my uh, my finger from when a kid tried to stab me with a pencil and I put my hand up and he stabbed wow. me in the hand. Um, but the worst part was like two teachers stood there and watched the entire thing happen and did nothing about it. I'm like laying there, like getting the shit beat out of me. Like anyone, like anyone at all, you can just step in at any moment. That'd be cool. But needless to say, I, I laid there for five minutes getting beaten for five minutes. And the reason I know it was five minutes was because they beat me from the time the bell rang until the time the next bell rang, which was for the next class to be in. So I remember as soon as the second bell rang, they all scattered like roaches. And uh, my, my friend who's become my best friend still today, um, he was late as he is to everything. Thanks, Joey. You could have showed up on time, brother. Uh, but he was late to that class. And so he was waddling up towards me because he's a heavy set guy. And he picks me up and he walks me to the nurse's office. And when he walked me to the nurse's office, we didn't say a word to each other. He pulled out a card and it was for a free trial karate class. And they had like a referral program where if you got people to sign up that you got a discount on your next month, that kind of thing. So he handed me the card and he goes, you need this. And that was the only thing we said to each other the whole walk. I took it, put it in my pocket, went to my mom that night. And I said, mom, I, I think I want to try this out. And she wouldn't let me do any sports because she was always worried that I'd get hit in the face and have to go redo surgeries. And so she said, maybe, which always stood out to me because my mom is not a maybe. My mom says, yes. <laughs> my mom says, no. But she said, maybe. And that next month was my birthday. And so as a gift, she had paid for an entire year of karate classes. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and so I took my very first class on my birthday and I still celebrate to this day my, you know, uh, annual uh, of being in the martial arts industry every year. I celebrate that because that's important to me. Um, and so I started in karate. And since then, 25 years in the industry, I'm a third degree black belt in karate, third degree black belt in something called Lissa Jodo, which is a weapon system no one's heard of. It basically just means I'm good at nunchucks, which is a fairly useless skill, but it's fun. Um, I'm a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, a 6-0 amateur boxer, 4-2 amateur kickboxer. I was on an international kickboxing team for two years called Team Full Circle, where we traveled internationally in kickboxing and did sport martial arts tournaments. Ran a martial arts school for about four years until I got bought out by another facility that liked my business model. They hired me on, so I became their striking coach, um, and I helped their MMA fighters with their striking. I built their striking program from the ground up. Um, and I've been doing McDojo Life now for about a decade. And that was around the same time I started doing business consulting, which I've been doing for about a decade for martial arts schools as well. Wow, that is a crazy story. Uh, do you think that you probably would have intimidated those kids if you would have leaned over and said, call an ambulance? And not for not for me, but for you. And then you would have. <laughs> do you think that would have intimidated them to not want to jump you? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that if I pulled out a, a, a fucking Smith & Wesson revolver in the middle of class, I'm pretty sure that would have intimidated everyone. <laughs> no, that's crazy. So when you first started your martial arts, though, did your mom still show that that like, um, that like worry about you getting hurt and stuff like that? And, you know, kind you of know, did she helicopter parented a little bit? Absolutely not, which is dumbfounding wow. to me. So like my mom... Uh, and me and my best friend, that's when we became best friends because I was always at the gym 
every day. I didn't give a damn what was going on. If that gym was open, I was there. And I was there before class started. I took as many classes as I could every night. I was there after it closed. They allowed me to have free time there. Me and him were very close with the instructors. So they allowed us some, a little bit of freedom. But my mom loved my best friend's mom so much and trusted her so much <laughs> that as long as I was with Joey and as long as I was in their care, she was cool with it. And so cool, by the way, that my first boxing match was at a smoker fight and a club called Plush when I was 15 years old. Now, this was a 21 and up bar. Like, this is a nightclub where they took the, the ring and put it in the middle of the pit, which was the dance floor. And the only people in there were 21 and up. And somehow, because my instructor was the promoter, he was like, you can, you can come if you want to fight, but you have to fight first and then you have to leave because you're underage. You can be there specifically to fight as long as you get a, a waiver signed. And my mom signed that waiver without blinking an eye. The, <laughs> the one sport I'm guaranteed to get punched in the face in. And she was like, no, that's cool. Baseball, no. Football, no. It's too dangerous. Get punched in the face, have at it, son. So Maybe it was maybe it was because you wear gloves. And like in her head, she she's was thinking like, the pad, the gloves. Yeah, you she's know? like, it's God, not going to do that much damage. <laughs> I, that, tell that to all of my concussions. Where am I? Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take for you started getting like a shift with like confidence and all that when you started the martial arts after that happened? Like, was it pretty quick or did it build up over a few months? I, I think it, it takes a long time, man. I think that when you're born different, I guess is the way, the correct way to not, because I can make fun of me all day long, but I don't want to downplay anybody else's shit. But at the end of the day, I think that when you're born different from other people in any way, shape or form, I think that that has a way of picking away at your confidence no matter what. So, I mean, right now I, like I can come online and I love public speaking. I love talking shop. I love martial arts. So I feel very confident in that, but I still have days where I wake up just like anybody else. And I feel like a bag of shit about myself because I have scars on my face. So because, you know, and I, I obviously I work online primarily. And so what do you get, uh, you know, a lot of, you get a lot of people typing whatever they feel like because they're venting. But, you know, when it came to martial arts, I think martial arts is a really funny thing because I think people go to martial arts expecting to learn about self-confidence and to learn about that stuff. It's not something that you're taught. It's something you develop in yourself because you start to realize that the situations that you're in are not really as shitty as the situations you're per putting yourself into on purpose. You know, somebody cuts you off in traffic before you ever trained. You're like, you mother, I kill you. You once you train, you're like, well, at least it's not sitting on my chest on a neon belly and punching me. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? You know, like situations just seem a little, little less awkward. They seem a little less worrisome. You feel like you can handle yourself a little bit better. So, what's the worst that could possibly happen? Well, when you don't know how to protect yourself, the worst that could possibly happen is you get your ass whooped. Well, when you start eliminating that as a, a percentage anyway of that being a, a likelihood, then all of a sudden your confidence boosts. So. I think that I'm still working on that. I think that that's an ongoing process, but I think that probably around high school, um, because at that time when I was fighting in the clubs, I mean, the first guy that I fought when I was at plush was 35 years old and I was 15 years old. Um, and I have that, that fight's one of my favorite fights ever because I was terrified. I, I remember getting into the ring. He got into the ring. I remember when I weighed in, uh, I stood on the scale and the person who was weighing me in was a lady named Miss Connie who was my instructor's wife. And so I stand on the scale and she still works for the state athletic commission of Florida now, which is cool, but these fights were unsanctioned. Like they were literally <laughs> out of the audience throughout the night. So I stood on the scale and I was like, well, who am I fighting? She goes, Oh, he's right behind you. And I didn't expect that. So I turned around and this dude Baja laughed in my face 
And I was like, oh, shit. And it scared me because that guy was so confident about him winning. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll do the best I can. And there was like a little <laughs> warrior area in that back fighter's room. And you can go down these stairs to like this little concrete area where they did storage. And so I went down there and I'm shadow boxing and I'm warming up and I'm getting prepared for the fight and everything. And I heard someone on a cell phone on the top of the stairs talking about how they already want to fight. And I was like, I'm the first fight. No one has fought. So whoever that is, is just lying. So I looked up and it was that guy. And I was like, oh my God, like this guy, like now you're just arrogant. You're not confident. Like you're just yeah. an arrogant prick. And I was like, even at 15, I could recognize posturing. And I was like, that guy's just saying this because he's, he already feels it's in the bag. I was like, I've been training almost every night, every day, nonstop since I was 12. So it's like three years and it's not my first competition. It's just my first boxing match. And so I was like, okay, we'll see how this goes. And so at that moment, I think my confidence like went through the roof. Like that really was a defining moment for me. I got into the ring, bell rings. He comes across the corner. Then my confidence disappeared. Uh, I, fucking, <laughs> I, I go into like a, a fetal position in the ring, like standing, just covering my head, trying not to get rained on. And he's just throwing everything he has. And my eyes are closed. And like, it was a rowdy place. Like people were putting their beers like on the ring. This was not like what you would normally imagine. Like I was stepping in people's alcohol and shit. It was a rough place. And so after about 30 seconds, I guess, if that, all of a sudden it just stopped and I looked up and I opened my eyes and the dude was like in the middle of the ring, holding onto his knees, gasping for air. And oh. like, I looked over and I saw the referee, which is actually one of my instructors. And the referee looks at me and looks at him and looks at me. And he's like, what are you doing? Let's fight. And, so I <laughs> and I threw the hardest, worst right hand cross I could right down the pipe. And he just happened to look up in that moment from gasping for air. And he looked up and I broke his nose. Um, it was just a lucky shot, to be honest. I don't think that that was skill. It was like throwing a, a, a fucking softball, right? So I throw it, and then it hits him, and I could tell, like, it was it was broken. And then his nose is profusely bleeding. He, he started to puff up throughout the round. I was like, oh, I broke his shit. Good. Fuck you for being a dick. And then he didn't answer the corner after that. And then I remember going to the back fighters area because I had to leave. So he didn't come out for round two. He quit. Um, and then when I went to the back fighters area, he was, like, over a garbage can profusely vomiting. And uh, I left that night thinking like, one, my confidence was very through the roof. I mean, this is a 35-year-old man. I was 15 years old. I was like, I was in a, a rowdy-ass bar and I just beat this guy up. And now I'm going to go to school tomorrow. And I felt like that was so fucking boss at the time, you know, like oh, yeah. kid, it's the coolest thing. But then I thought about it. I was like, what did he tell that person he was on the phone with when he got home? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what was that conversation like? You should see the other guy. Yeah, you I was know? about to say, right? <laughs> So in, in you, you've competed in martial arts, you said quite a bit. I, I wrestled a little bit in high school. And one thing that you always saw everyone kind of get intimidated by was a guy with a tattoo, right? If you were about to wrestle someone in this in, in high school, right? And if you saw a guy with like, even if it was like a little shoulder thing, you're like, holy shit, this guy has a tattoo. He's going to kick my ass. You know what I mean? And whether it was true or not, right? It was just like an intimidation factor that had nothing to do. It was an arbitrary intimidation factor. It had nothing to do with the guy's skill, right? Yeah. Is there anything in martial arts when you were growing up that was kind of that intimidation factor that you saw in people where you're like, holy shit? Absolutely. Um, when you go to like sport martial arts tournaments, which is where I cut my teeth when I started, I started in sport karate, like, and I started in the same like league. It was WKF or not WKF. I apologize. ISK, NBL, NASCA, 
um, you know, those type of leagues. When I was coming up, like the guys we were looking up to were guys who were legends now, like Raymond Daniels, Michael Venom Page, Stephen Thompson. All of those guys fought on those circuits, um, you know, and then uh, fought Taylor Lautner back in the day was like a, a karate dude, but he did a lot of forms. He wasn't really a fighter back then, but back in the day, like there was, it was kind of like this melting pot of all these guys who were getting really, really good at that particular art. And then they've been able to move on to turn that into great MMA careers, which is awesome to see. Um, hell, Raymond Daniels, I do believe, is fighting next weekend for karate combat. But, but anyway, um, so when I was coming up through the ranks, what they would make you do in normal sport karate tournaments, no matter what the league, is they would have you formally bow in as a group. So everyone who's going to be fighting in that division, they would have you come to the ring and check in and make sure you're all good. Then you would all stand on the edge of the ring and they would have you bow in and then they would immediately start the brackets. And so that's a pretty traditional thing they would do. Well, when you're standing there and you're looking around the line, you could always spot the easy fight. You could, you could just look and see a guy. He's got like mismatched gear. He's scared. Like you can tell <laughs> like he's wearing like a chest protector. No one else is. You know, you're like, I hope I draw him first. And then you look over and you'd see somebody from like a highly um, well-known sponsored team. And you'd be like, shit, that guy's here. That sucks. So like usually like <laughs> guys would usually be the ones that would intimidate you the most because you don't, they never got paid. Like I was probably on one of the only teams that actually got paid to fight. Like those other sponsored teams, it was honorary. So if you like look at uh, teams like team Paul Mitchell, for instance, like in order to be on that team, you already have to be a multiple time world champion before they even look at you. So if you saw somebody with a Paul Mitchell gi on, you knew that that guy was going to fight the shit out of you. Um, you know, or you saw teams like straight up and stuff like that. So you could usually spot that that's sponsorships intimidating because usually people earned it, you know? Yeah. And to, to that point too, growing up when we would skateboard, you would hear someone like, Oh, that guy's sponsored by so-and-so. And it could be like a local skate shop or whatever. You know what I mean? But you're like, Holy shit. That guy is like leagues ahead of me. You know what I mean? You're like, I can't believe like a company's giving him free skateboards to skate. And he's like, he's got like a day job working at Burger King or something like that. You know what I mean? But like in the skate world, you're like, you're watching him like shred at a skate park. You're like, he's gotta be good. He's, he's like, a sponsor. Right. And you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe this. That's so funny. That is still like in other, other sports too. It's like that guy has sponsorships. Yeah. He is no it's freaking funny, joke. Cause like in jujitsu, for instance, you get sponsored by companies. So you don't really have teams as much. You do, like, but teams are different. Teams are typically through your lineage. So you'll see like guys like the Donahue Death Squad, for instance, but you know most of those guys were training at Henzo's in the Blue Basement. You were just aware of that, right? Um, and But most of the time on their geese, it would be sponsored by companies. And sport karate, there are no companies all over geese. It's literally like a team name, and that team sponsors you. And so you knew the type of caliber those people were training with. You knew a lot about them based off that name alone. And so that was that was something that's a little different because in sport karate, you don't typically have individual sponsors like that. So how do you feel about combat karate? Were you excited knowing your background when the, they came out with something for that demographic? Like, how do you feel about all that? I think it's dope, man. Like, first of yeah. all, Adam, the guy who runs it is like so cool. Like he's so relaxed. Like he he was like had multi he had millions of dollars on the line. Like no pressure. But if this fails, you will be bankrupt. Kind of like pressure. And he's just cool as a cucumber. Like he barely knows me from Adam. He put me up in a hotel to be able to hang out there to be able to watch the event. He asked absolutely nothing of me other than just to to show up. He didn't ask me to please That's film cool. this, please shoot this. So that was cool. And then when I actually saw the rule set, what it reminds me of is how combat jujitsu is for jujitsu. 
So like, it's like a stepping stone. So guys who do purely jujitsu, who've never really added striking into their game. When you go to combat jujitsu, now there's open hand slaps, a lot changes. Um, oh, yeah. you know, especially when it comes to the leg lock game. Cause I, every time I go to a combat jujitsu tournament, there's always a guy diving on a leg lock and then just getting the just dog getting hammered right out of his face. And then he gives up and then he has to go for something else. But, uh, karate combat's very similar because they add like on top of what's a uh, more traditional rules, which would be like WKF style karate. So you can see guys like do takedowns and they allow a little bit of standing, uh, uh, combat after you take someone down so it's not like take them down and that's it you can actually strike after you've taken them down i like the the idea of the ring which is not just a cage so it's very easy to see so it's great for spectators because you can see right into the pit there's no bad area because it's sunken down so you can see everything that's going on um i like the rule set i like that it's giving guys from like nasca waco nbl wkf all these uh these world-class champions from what they do it's giving them a platform to go okay well i want to move from karate to something a little more full contact and it gives them that stepping stone for the rule set so it's not just like the shell shock of now you have to like know muay thai rules and you've never done that that kind of thing um and so i think it's dope man i think it's cool to see all these different arts evolving and to be honest all this i think you can think specifically because of ufc 1993 when ufc hit it forced every art to evolve and if you did not evolve and try to step up your game, you would be left behind. And that's what we're seeing with a lot of what people consider traditional arts is the, the ones that are trying to evolve. They're flourishing. I mean, they're doing great. And they're, they're creating these world champions doing things that you never thought were possible. Meanwhile, you have arts that don't want to change, don't want to evolve, don't want to elevate. And then they get left in the dust. And eventually what's going to happen is die. Yeah, the the ring, I heard a couple of people talking about it. I think maybe Chel Sonnen or Joe Rogan talked about the ring. It's probably one of their favorite parts of combat jiu-jitsu because there's there's nothing to lean against or to like back your uh back your back up against and help stand you up. Like there's no running to it. Like it's literally there's there's just a slight slant and like if you hit it, you're probably gonna fall. You know what I mean? And I think the combat or the the rule set is like if you take someone down or someone falls, you have like five seconds to ground and pound them or whatever before the referee stands up, which I think is super cool too, because uh, how many times do you hear groundwork getting booed in the UFC? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, so people, people want to see striking. So I think that's kind of cool too, that they keep it to where people want to see it. For sure. And they, they allow, like they put a lot more emphasis on calf kicking in that particular Mm. art because you're dealing with wider stances. Um, So you see a lot more calf kicking because you see a lot more people in wider stances. And it's what happened with Michael Venom Page when he um, when he lost and he got knocked out. He had that wide stance. Um, mm-hmm. I forget his name. I apologize for not remembering his Douglas name. Douglas right Lima. Now. Thank you. And Lima took advantage of that wide yep. stance, kicked that leg out from under him, which completely shut down his normal blitz. And then he ate that next shot. And then that was it because like he took advantage of understanding the style instead of just saying, "Oh, that's karate. That's stupid." Which is what happened with almost every one of Wonder Boy's opponents coming up through his career. They didn't respect it, so they didn't learn it, and then they got wrecked. You know, you have to learn other people's stuff if you want to be at that level. You have to understand that they are able to use things and tools that you just don't know. Just like any other fighter, study tape, figure out people that you need to bring into your training camp. And then you can get better. That's what Tyrone Woodley did. And it worked out great. He brought in a ton of international sport martial arts champions to teach him about that. Gilbert Burns himself also brought in Raymond Daniels when he fought Stephen Thompson. 
So they understand and respect the art a lot more now because they're seeing that there's some advantages to it. Just like anything else, there's also disadvantages too. Yeah, and Conor McGregor has that wide karate. Well, used to. I think he's trying to go back to it now. Boxing, I think, kind of threw him off a little bit. He had that wide karate stance, and uh, he would put his feeler hand out there, his lead hand out there to kind of like make sure, like feel what people are about to do. And I mean, obviously, he has like a vicious left hand too. But and I, it's it's cool because. I don't think people adjusted to him until what Dustin Poirier started doing the calf kick that one fight. And then people were like, ah, that's right. We have that tool. I completely forgot about that. It's, it's always cool to see guys pull out stuff that are like, uh, like what they call older techniques, right? Like you can see like uh, John Jones did it for a while where he was like almost doing like a standing Americana, but it's like very traditional karate where he would like wrench the arm that had a shallow underhook. And he just wrenched the hell out of it. I think that happened to Sean Strickland too when uh, yeah. he was Orlando Sanchez, I think it was, when yep, they were just yep. like sparring. And then he just like wrenches his arm and Strickland's like, what the hell, man? It's like probably shouldn't go to their gym and, you know, talk all that shit before. I don't know. Like it's, it's weird, man. But at the end of the day, it's really cool to see guys pull out stuff because everybody falls into these like ebbs and flows, right? Wrestling is almost always the most dominant, as we can see throughout all the champions. Guys who usually have strong wrestling backgrounds typically do extremely well or become title holders, at least. Um, they definitely get it to the top five. Um, but then you see guys like out of the blue come up with some stuff. I can't wait until somebody just randomly starts pulling out some capoeira and people have no clue what to do with that. They're like, what the hell? Ah! And then they're getting, they're getting jump spinning hook kick. That's what happened. That's why Raymond Daniels had such good success Like when he fights so many people. Because people forever would be like, that jump spinning crap would never work in a fight. And then he'd do the jump spinning crap and knock him out. Because <laughs> they never thought that that was possible, you know? There, There is one guy in the UFC, uh, uh, Michel Piera. He does a little bit of like capoeira. And he does like, he's a big explosive guy. We watched uh, him fight Tristan, uh, I forgot what his name was. But a Canadian guy. And he... And he lost, my, uh, Michel Pereira lost because uh, his opponent just kind of like ran away from it and while he exhausted himself out throwing random kicks, doing flips and stuff in the cage. Oh, I and, remember that. Yeah, fight. and then he just took him to the ground and he was like so exhausted. He's like, okay, maybe that shit doesn't work all the time. <laughs> but it was it was cool to see, you know what I mean? And I mean, it's entertaining. It's entertaining, right. And that's the thing. It's like, who sees a, a guy do a backflip in the middle of the cage to like land in mount to try to <laughs> get, get it, some ground and pound in, you know? So, but uh, Chael Sonnen recently did a video on YouTube that I thought was super interesting talking about how it was with the uh, Pena Gordon fight um, about how that is exactly what is wrong with sport jujitsu right now is that every organization within jujitsu has their own rule set. Uh, they can change it however they want. Um, it, it can be who, no offense. I think no time limit is cool, but I don't want to see 40 minutes of hugging and with no advancement, no guard passing, no submission attempts. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. he was talking about how that is watching jujitsu is the worst part of sport jujitsu. The actual application of jujitsu is the worst part. No one wants to watch it because it it's like hard to follow and there's so many nuances to it. What do you see as the the biggest problem with jujitsu to where we could become like a league, like combat karate or uh, these other things that are now finding grounds to become more popular. Uh, well, I think step one is bigger organizations should stop trying to cover up sexual abuse. Um, that would be a good start. Um, but right. I think, you know, cause who the fuck wants to watch that? Why, why would, how could you possibly back those organizations when they literally are covering up sexual abuse? 
Like no one wants to be involved in that. And it makes everything look fucking gross. Right. And so like at the highest echelons, you have all of these people who are caught dead to rights doing some really dirty shit. And then it's just accepted that that's okay. Like there are guys right now who are like caught dead to rights, molesting kids or caught dead to rights on rape, rape charges. And then we're supposed to root somehow for yeah. one of those guys. Like, no, like we should be kicking those people out. Um, and I know that might sound like a far cry, but if you want the masses, I can tell you one thing everyone hates, which is rapists and pedophiles. And so if we can start getting rid of those, maybe you can start getting some positive attention to the sport. The other thing is, is I think we need to hype up the things that are entertaining. Like, for instance, I don't know if you guys know about this thing or not, but it's called Banana Ball. You ever heard of Banana Ball? Mm -mm. Dude, look it up, right? So basically this, like, I guess they're like minor league team and they're off season. What they do is they take their whole team and they split them in half and they have completely different rules to baseball. And they just play baseball, not for the sake of winning or losing, but quite literally for the sake of it being entertaining. Because on the on season, they're all on the same team. So they're just doing it as an exhibition for fun. Where's the fun? Everybody in martial arts wants everything to be so serious. It's got to be for self-defense and it's got to apply to a real street fight. When most of those motherfuckers who are saying that shit are people with private profiles who've never gone to a gym in their life. You know, like if you really want the masses to enjoy anything, it's got to be entertaining. And so that means that your rule sets need to be entertaining. And like you said, when you have a no limit time match or a no limit match and it's going on for an hour and someone's on like top uh, half guard and the person doesn't want to lose the match. So they just stay there because they know they're going to wind up winning or, you know, I'm not saying Gordon Ryan did that because I, I saw him put on some crazy ass pressure. Um, but he's usually one of those guys that like calls his shots like Babe Ruth before the, the fight. So he probably had something. He was like, I really want this thing. And so for him, that's what's entertaining. But Gordon Ryan's probably the best thing for jujitsu, to be honest, if you want it to be a yeah. spectator sport because he's entertaining. Like, that's it. And that's how he's entertaining by picking fights and stuff like that. And some people don't like that, but it is entertaining. And like his numbers don't lie. People clearly respect him as a jujitsu artist. People clearly watch his, his matches. People clearly want to see him compete. That's because he's entertaining. And then I think that the promoters need to understand that too. You know, like if I'm a spectator, why would I go to something that's boring as shit? Like, if I'm a spectator, why do I need to know a rule book like this to understand the sport? I need to know basics. That's why I love combat jujitsu. Combat jujitsu, if you've never watched jujitsu before a day. That's in all life, I watch. Yeah, you would watch combat jujitsu. Because you know, kind of like NASCAR, which is why I think people watch NASCAR, <laughs> yeah. eventually there's gonna be a wreck. Like yeah. in combat jujitsu, you know, eventually somebody's gonna get the dog shit slapped out of them. And that's entertaining to me. So I mean, if you really want to do like first clean up all that bullshit that's going on behind the scenes of people trying to cover stuff up and make this kind of like a Catholic church or something. And then the other thing is try to make sure that it's entertaining. Like if you can get rid of pedophiles, get rid of rapists, make it entertaining. Bam. We got entertainment soup. You know, people will watch that. You can't pay me to go to a baseball game, but I'll yeah. go to a hockey game any day. Oh yeah. Same thing. Like, and they they actually made like a combat sport somewhere in there where it's literally just two people fist fighting on skates now. <laughs> yeah, hockey games. Everybody's pumped up. Yeah, yeah. You get you get a bunch of drunk rowdy people. They're like, just fucking fight them already. Like, it's like it's the national anthem, bro. <laughs> it's like a Buffalo Wild Wings on a Saturday night for a UFC. Punch him in the face. Oh, you can always spot the table that don't train in a Buffalo Wild Wings, man. Uh, man. Yeah, they got no, those it's American funny. fighter shirts on. They look like they eat 15 sandwiches a day. 
Bro, it was like ta- the, the the people that have never trained, but they watch a lot of UFC wearing tap outs, talking about how they just see red back in the day. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that that's like that's a no- man. That's a fantastic point to segue from what you just said. Like another thing is, I think that we need to accept casual fans. Yeah, like martial artists love ripping into a casual fan. Like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about? Who gives a shit? They're paying your bills, motherfucker. Like. Let them pay. Let them enjoy it for why they enjoy it. They don't need to be educated. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you watched an action movie back in the 1980s, you didn't see a whole bunch of stunt choreographers on the couch. Man, I would have done that fight scene this way. No. There were just people liked the fact that they got to watch a cool action movie, and that was okay. It didn't have to be technically perfect. It was just fun. Like, that's I, I really do think fun is something that people miss all the time in martial arts. And I feel like there are some organizations like Eddie Bravo's EBI, I think does probably the best pure jujitsu competition uh, because, you know, the rule set, everyone, even even the people that compete in it, like we only want to compete in EBI. Like I talked to Nathan Orchard, who just was on Team America for EBI, and he's like, dude, EBI is the best rule set. The overtime is the most entertaining, right? It's like because it's easy to follow. It's like you either get an arm bar position or you take their back. Yep. First one to escape wins. Or you know, well, I mean, or first one with the fastest jiu-jitsu. time. Isn't, isn't combat jujitsu? Yeah, like is, is Eddie's also. Yeah, yep. and yep. He, he just did Medusa too, which is the all female combat jujitsu now too, which I think was a super smart move to go with. Again, I think Eddie Bravo probably should be like, in my opinion, he he he's understanding it better than no offense, flow grappling, but I think flow grappling just kind of leaves it up to the fighters. On I don't even want to say fighters, but leave it up to the the practitioners on how they want their event to go. You know what I mean? Like it was Gordon Ryan was the one that said, Hey, it's going to be, you know, no time limit, blah, blah, blah. And then flow grappling was like, yeah, okay, let's do it. And where Eddie is like, these are the rules. Either you follow them or you don't compete. You know what I mean? And he's, he's really found something good there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, great. man, I think that when you look back in the history books, like, there's some very major moments in martial arts like history that you can put staples on and say, this changed the game. Like we talked about 93 with UFC, like completely changed, like all martial arts, period. Like the landscape changed. I think Eddie Bravo, when Eddie Bravo, like really started pushing 10th planet and, you know, pushing EBI and pushing it as like, okay, well let's get this more entertaining. Let's try to see if we can change some rule sets up. Let's, it's okay that we do things differently and it's okay that you don't want to wear a gi and it's okay that if you want to smoke weed and like he, he kind of changed it up a little bit. And I think that that, what that did was it brought it a little bit more to the masses. And so I really believe that if it wasn't for Eddie Bravo, I do not think that the Nogi game would be what the Nogi game is today. Like he really did do something special with that. And like, I think that he deserves a big nod for being able to do that. Why do you think Nogi is so much more popular than Gi in uh, not only like spectating, but like in competition too? Because, you know, EBI is Nogi. I don't even know if they have a Gi portion. Do they have a Gi portion of EBI? Not that I've not seen. Not off the top not, of them. Yeah, I, I think it's all Nogi, right? Why do you think so, Nogi is so much more entertaining to watch? Well, I think one, a lot of guys who are going from wrestling to jujitsu, it's a very easy transition because in wrestling, you don't have a Gi. So you're used to it being sweaty. You're used to scrambling. You're used to it being hard to get a hold of somebody. And Nogi is very similar in a lot of aspects that way. I mean, obviously the rule sets are different, but I think it's an easy transition. If you look at guys who are wrestling, they have that available in middle school and high schools. 
So a lot of guys, like when they, they've been wrestling since they were children and then it was something that was available, they're still interested in it. And as they get older, maybe they don't want to be wrestlers, but they already have this background. So do you want to completely start over with possibly a new skill set or do you want to go to something that's very familiar? And so I think because you're getting fed all these wrestlers coming out of high school, college, middle school, that kind of thing, I think that it's an easy transition. Um, I also think that Gi has been around for a shitload longer um, in terms of popularity than it, and then Nogi has been around. I mean, Nogi is like the, the popular thing right now. And so I think people go to the popular thing. Um, but I think both have advantages. Like for instance, and this is just how I look at it. I think that when you're doing um, Gi, I think that your attacks have to be on point, period. Like, because everything is so slippery. It's so much harder to lock in something when there's no friction. Like if you need for no you're gonna get an bar, and it's so easy to escape. I mean, think about how easy it is to escape when you're co both covered in sweat. Things that if you were wearing a gi, you probably wouldn't be able to escape. But in gi or no gi, you have to keep it tight. Like if you want that arm bar, man, you better pinch those damn heels to your butt. You know, you better like pinch them knees together because if you mess up even the slightest, that person's going to get out. And I think gi is the opposite. I think gi really forces you to work on defense because everything is a handle. Everything. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how sweaty you are. You can still grab a hold of it. And so because there's so much friction, even if the person might not necessarily have it 100% technically correct, sometimes that gi kind of keeps you stuck for one reason or another. So your defense game has to be much better. Um, I always think that it's interesting, by the way, that a lot of people talk about no gi being well, way more realistic for self-defense. But then like if you look at like depending on where you live in the country, like most people who are in a northern state aren't walking around shirtless or in yeah. t-shirts at all they're walking around in jackets like i walk around in a jacket all the time like they're walking around in the cold so they're not in shorts you know they're walking around in things that are a little more gi i live also live very close to the beach so if i went to the beach my no gi game better be good because yeah. there's not a lot of people wearing jackets at the beach so i think they both have their time and place for self-defense um, but I really do think that the Nogi, the reason it's popular is because you automatically have an easy feed from wrestling, middle school, high school, college, if that, maybe even just middle school, high school, or even middle school, you already have a, a set that you're kind of familiar with. And so it's a, just a natural, easier transition than starting over with something new. It's so funny you mentioned the the Nogi because it reminds me of Craig Hanamuni. He was uh he's a cop over in Bellevue. He's he was he gets a lot of praise by like Tom DeBloss just posted something about him. He's a small Hawaiian guy that in his uh, late forties and he's a cop and he's always doing stuff with jujitsu to show why it's important for police to practice jujitsu. Well, we interviewed him and I asked him like, hey, what do you think is more re uh, realistic for police work is it gi or no gi he's like well it depends because he's like sometimes we have to control people that don't have any clothes on and i was like that's a good point it's like sometimes you have a crackhead that's butt naked running down the street like he might just like that's not gonna work out with like trying to find grips on him like <laughs> so i see he's seen my work on tuesdays <laughs> <laughs> but the the wrestling aspect that you talked about is super interesting to me too because People talk about EBI and stuff like that, too. But the ADCC, uh, I don't know if I threw too many C's in there, but the rule set for ADCC, um, people love also. And people look at it as a a jujitsu competition, but it's actually not. It's a submission grappling sub, uh, competition because uh, wrestlers go to do it and they do very successful in it also. It's not the rule sets are 
great for people that are lifelong wrestlers like Bo Nichols. If you wanted to go do that, I'm sure he would do fantastic in an ADCC competition because it's it's so fun or the rule set really plays to his skill set. And I wish that they would make ADCC a little bit more uh, open to the public. You know what I mean? Like, because I feel like that is the Olympics to us. You know what I mean? Like, that should be the forefront. Like, this year is ADCC. People should be, like, pushing it a little bit more, in my opinion, and making it easier for people to watch. I mean, I'm pretty sure Mo sold out, like, almost as soon as he decided that he was going to make the announcement about, (laughs) as soon as he was like, tickets are on sale, they sold out. Um, and I think if you look at guys like Mo, um, like he does such a good job of really trying to make that like a world-class event. Like he's, he's not trying to make it just some mom and pop. I'm going to half-ass this thing. He puts a lot of money and time and effort into that thing. And that's gotta be a lot of work. Um, I think that, you know, we were talking about karate combat earlier, karate combat, when they first really started going around. And there's a comparison here, which is why I bring it up. But when Karate Combat first started, it was kind of starting during COVID. And so they were used to a, a set of like, okay, well, we're just going to do this for TV. We don't need to have an audience. Well, they're starting to grow. And so because they're starting to grow, they're starting to allow an audience. So like in Orlando next week, you can just go. But like, I think ABCC will probably be very similar. I think that we're getting probably to the threshold now of jujitsu becoming a lot more popular and a lot more mainstream than it ever has really been. I mean, if you just look up the hashtag BJJ on Instagram, you'll see just how many more people use that hashtag than almost any other hashtag other than MMA. I mean, mm-hmm. BJJ is starting to really grow as a spectator sport. But I mean, I think that it just comes in baby steps. I don't think that you want to run before you walk. And I think that in terms of jujitsu being a spectator sport, it's all still in the walking phase. Yeah. Even on that scale, it's just all still in the walking phase. And yeah, you've got, you got a lot more people nowadays who are more interested in it. But I mean, we really don't have in jujitsu spectators who watch jujitsu if they don't know jujitsu. Like the moment you can do that, then you open it to the public. Then you can say, I can fill this arena. But until then, I mean, it really would just be wasting money because no one's going to show up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why MMA is so, so popular and easy for a casual to follow. Like we mentioned earlier is because it's like, did that guy just get punched in the face? Yes. Oh, okay. That's like, <laughs> there, there's not a whole lot of like understanding the rule set of any sport or even, even MMA to understand like what's going on. You know what I mean? And it's that, it's so just, easy. Dude, that, that's, and that's such a beautiful thing because I think on average, if you were to walk around now, as opposed to like 10, 20 years ago. And you ask a random person on the street who's wearing, who looks like somebody who would probably watch MMA, right? They have like the American fighter shirt. Maybe they don't train, but if you ask them to show a rear naked choke, I think a lot of people, even if they don't train, probably would be able to show you that fairly well, or at least have a ballpark idea because they watched MMA. They've watched it enough to see how a rear naked choke is done over and over and over and over again. That just by watching it, most people can pretty much pick it up. Now, are they going to be a jiu-jitsu world champion? Absolutely not. You know, <laughs> would they be able to understand the the how intricate being able to land a heel hook is? Probably not. But could they show you a basic guillotine and say, hey, what does a guillotine look like? I think most people now from the spectator side can at least understand what that looks like and then reverse engineer it to use it. What we need is we need stuff, rule sets like that in jiu-jitsu so that way somebody could latch on to something they understand and then over time start learning the things they don't just by watching. But jujitsu is very intricate. Like a foot moving from here to here has a completely different name. Like it has a completely different like 
a spectrum of techniques you can do just because you moved your foot from there to there, you know, like hell in jujitsu, if you move your foot from there to there, all of a sudden you might be disqualified and the average yeah. person might not know what reaping is, you know? And so like, it depends on the rule set for sure. But I think once you start getting like, okay, well like combat jujitsu, for instance, is the best example. I know what slapping the dog shit looks like, <laughs> you know, like I know what that looks like when you slap the dog shit out of somebody. So I can understand that. And I can watch that. And then as I go, while I'm waiting for that, I can understand the rest. So what made you uh, ultimately want to start jujitsu from the more of the traditional martial arts background? Um, I have been doing striking for a really long time in different ways, shapes, or forms, whether it be boxing, kickboxing, sport karate, stuff like that. Um, but then I had an epiphany. Um, I wanted to, I want 10 black belts before I die. Um, that's like my lifelong goal as a martial artist is I would like 10 legitimate black belts before I die. And what I consider legitimate is at least seven years or more in an art. Um, I think that that's fair because every art's different. Um, you know, I don't want a two-year black belt out of anything. I don't think that you can learn much in two years. I think you can learn just enough to basically be like a blue belt in jujitsu at that point. You know, it's like two years is just enough to get still get your ass whooped by everybody else on the mat. Um, but I wanted 10 black belts before I die. And so I started like doing like spreadsheets, like looking at, okay, well, these are all the different martial arts, right? Well, if these all these different martial arts are super similar, why would I do all these martial arts that are just a few techniques away from each other? Like that doesn't make any sense to me. So what's going to take me the longest and what's the most diverse? And I was like, well, I don't know Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and I know that's going to take me the longest. So it could take, I mean, depending on the instructor, depending on your life, depending on um, how often you train, it could take you 20 years to get a black belt. You know, like some people, you know, don't have black belts. They've been training for like 30 years and they're still brown belts. I mean, shit, like life happens, but it's not an easy black belt to achieve. So I figured that would be the one that I would pursue first in that lifelong goal because I knew it was going to take so long. And I'm very mediocre at jujitsu, so it's taking longer. But, you know, you're going to be good at some things, not going to be good at other things, I guess. So what was your what was your first class like when you came to jujitsu? Did you give them a like a warning like, hey, by the way, I'm a black belt in karate, so you better watch out? <laughs> Fuck no. I, I had already been to other people's gyms, like through like uh, kickboxing and stuff like that. And when you visit other people's gyms, come correct. Like always come correct because it's always very tense for not only the gym because they're feeling you out, but it's also really tense for you because you're in a bee's nest. Like there's always an enforcer in every gym. I don't give a damn if they say there's not. There always is. And whether he's labeled as the enforcer or not, you will get that person suck on you. They will like sick, I guess, how whatever, sick, they will sick the person on you, right? And so you have to be respectful. So when I went in, I happened to meet my current jiu-jitsu instructor when I was teaching karate, funny enough. I was doing after-school karate programs. So I'd go to schools after school and teach karate. And when I was going up to one of these classes, I was wearing gi pants and one of my t-shirts with the logo of my karate school on it. And as I'm walking up, a guy with jiu-jitsu gi pants and a rash guard was walking out. And I was like, hey, and we just started a conversation. And it was like, yeah, I'm starting my own jujitsu academy here in like the next couple months. I'd love for you to come and swing by. I was like, absolutely. So he was already aware that I taught karate. So when I got there, um, you know, I got there about 30 minutes early, um, but it was like six months later. And then we, we chit chatted for a while about what my intentions are and all that good stuff. I was like, I already have my curriculum. I was like, I don't, I'm not going to incorporate any of your stuff. I'm not going to poach in your students, all that same old political garbage that you kind of have to go through if you're in the arts. And then after that, he was like, all right, cool. 
And I got on the mat and I, I remember my first day very vividly because when you do jujitsu for your first time, it is probably one of the most humbling experiences of your life. <laughs> no shit. Um, and so you go in, I'm like, I think at that time I was like, yeah, I've been doing this forever, man. Like, I, I think I'll be okay. And I knew basic grappling. So like grappling and jujitsu, if you, if anyone's not familiar, jujitsu is the art of grappling means that someone like showed you a few techniques. <laughs> Like you don't understand, like the, you don't understand about transitions, positional dominance, like a lot of things miss None you if that. you've just done grappling. And so I went in there and I knew some basics. I knew Americana, knew Kimura, knew a regular arm bar. I knew an arm bar from guard. I knew a guillotine choke, knew rear naked choke, just really basic submissions. But submissions was all I knew. Had no clue how to pass, had no clue how to keep real good guard retention. I had none of that. And so when I got there, I wind up at the end of class last 30 minutes of class, we rolled. And it's my first day. So I was like, okay, I'll just do the best I can. And I'd rolled before, but I'm not great. And I'm not a jujitsu guy. And so I wound up tapping out the white belt that I was training with like three or four times. And it was like very easy, but he didn't have any experience at all. And I already had some base. And so I was like, okay, I understand that. And then we rotated partners and there was a blue belt there. And I tapped him out like three times. And I was like, uh, I was like, I don't know if this place is for me, man. I was like, at this point, I feel like I should be getting the shit beat out of me. And that's kind of what I kind of need. I need to lose because that way, you know, that they're going to make you better. And then he put me with another white belt. And that white belt's name is Alex Bugman. And Alex Bugman (laughs) is like a Ukrainian wrestling champion. I did not know this. I also was not aware that this dude is jacked and he does not look jacked in that gi. In that gi, he looks like a very tiny, meek man. And so I was like, slap, bump, and we got to it. And he just yoked. Remember Jaws, the movie Jaws, the opening scene when the lady's getting drugged through the water? Yep. That yes. was what was happening with me. And I'm like, ah, ah. he's just tapping me out over and over and over again. And then I was like, okay, there's something to this. Like, I need to learn this because he yoked me up for like five minutes straight. I was like, this sucks so bad, but I love it. And then my instructor rolled with me. And it was that was the humbling moment. Because there was no, like, even effort. It looked like he could have been on the phone texting somebody and tapping me out. <laughs> I mean, he tapped me out with my arm, his arm, tapped my leg, tapped my neck, like, every possible way he could. And he he wasn't muscling anything. It looked so effortless. And, like, I felt like it's a very – that's the humbling part is you feel so helpless, helpless. You know in that moment, if you and that person actually fought, they would kill you. Like, yeah, literally. literally kill you. And so you're like – Oh my God, like he's not even breaking a sweat and I can't breathe. And so I was like, all right, this is where I need to be. This is, this is it. And so I started training and I absolutely love it. Um, I got to tell you, like jujitsu is, is dope, man. It's cool. Like if anybody out there is doing any other arts, I, I know this is a jujitsu podcast, but man, you gotta, you gotta get on that mat. You gotta get humbled a few times. And then once you do, it's like very addicting. It's like, okay, well, Maybe that guy next time won't tap me out as many times. And then your goal becomes, oh, he didn't tap me out at all this time. And then it's like, oh, I almost got him this time. Like, that's like the progression in your mind of trying to justify continuing to do it. And like those little progressions just make you realize, like we talked about earlier, just how most everything else in life is so trivial. Like nothing's going to be as hard as fighting for your life. And so when you get on the mat and you understand that when you and another person are slapping hands and they got you in a rear naked choke in that moment, they would have killed you. You were fighting for your life. Now, you might not be going after each other's throats and going 100 percent, but you and that person have this moment that's a very beautiful, honest moment together where no one was lying. No one was talking about politics. 
No one was worried about their job. You were in another moment with another human being of pure honesty. And that is why I absolutely love getting on the mat. Anytime I get on the mat, there's no line. Did you train? We'll find out. Are you good? We'll find out. Are you sneaky? It'll come out when you spar. Are you direct? It'll come out when you spar. Who you are as a human being comes out when you fight another human being. You cannot lie in that moment. And so that's why I absolutely love martial arts in general. Even kickboxing is the very same. There's nothing to talk about. You got a mouthpiece in. We're going to find out honesty truth time right now. Are you a dick? We'll find out. Because <laughs> when you try to knock me unconscious when we're going soft, guess what? I find out you're a douchebag, right? Same thing with jiu-jitsu. Right. You knee on belly me and try to get my sternum to go through my spinal column. That's a dick move, right. We find out who you are as an individual through truth, through violence. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And most people avoid it their entire life because I think they're terrified of who they are as a person. I think fighting someone else, you have this moment of clarity that most people are terrified of. They don't want to know what they're really made of. They don't want to find out that they're not the person they built up in their mind. They don't want to be humble. But when you do, you have the most honest moment in your life with yourself and another human being. That's when you become the person that you really should be. We talk about it in the military about how we have such, both of us are, are former Navy vets. Um, and we talk about it in the military. You go through adversity with these people. You know, you go through a lot of hard times and uh, scary moments even sometimes. You know what I mean? And the brotherhood that you build within the military is lifelong. I, can, I have friends that I won't see, I don't talk to for years. And the second I see them, we have that camaraderie that, that we're like, holy shit, we've gone through stuff together. And honestly, the only thing that I have found close to that is martial arts. The, the brotherhood and sisterhood that is built within jujitsu, where we go through these tough moments together, we build that trust with each other that when I tap, you're going to let go. You know what I mean? We build that, that relationship. It's, it's, it's really cool because when you meet someone else that does jujitsu, one or two things that happen, either going to be super cool. Or they're going to be a douchebag. Like you just, <laughs> <laughs> right. they're like, what belt are you? How many times do we get asked? Oh, a we lot. do a podcast. What belt are you? And like, we're, we're fucking white belts. And like now we're blue belts, but you know what I mean? It's like, people are like, Oh, you don't really have anything to say. You know, there's people out there that do that. And there's people like that in the military too. Exactly. Yeah. But the, the, the relationship and the the camaraderie that is built within martial arts, man, it's like it's like unmatched. There's it's 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 that community aspect. It's it's so much more than just uh, choking each other or, you know, going going to a mat or a dojo or, or whatever it is. It's it's a, it's an incredible thing that you get to experience. I wish more people would take up on it, to tell you the truth. At least try it out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and I you know, you always have these random dudes. If you once you're in martial arts for a long enough time. You will see this happen. Just you will see it happen a lot, but depending on how long you're in, but eventually you're going to see the guy who comes off the street. And that guy who comes off the street is going to want to be the next MMA fighter. And he's all he's going to tell you about every accolade he has in the streets and how deadly he is with his hands and that he's never lost a fight in his life. And I 2000 undefeated, bro. Yeah, like, uh, and then you have that guy, and then they get on the mat, and then they get humbled, and they learn the truth about themselves, and then they have this like cognitive dissonance moment where they have to make a decision. Do I continue to lie to myself for the sake of my ego? Or do I tell myself the truth that I don't know shit and maybe I should start learning? And that's a big moment for anybody about anything in the history of anything. If you're ever going to learn something, you have to admit first that you don't know what you're doing. That's the first step. And that's so scary for a lot of people. It's so scary. Like it's the same thing when people like leave martial arts for a while and then they come back is 
they have this like cognitive dissonance. It's like, well, you know, like I did it for so long, but will that still be there? Like stop harping on who you were. You're not that same person anymore. Start over. It's okay to start something over. You know, it's okay to start over. Like we, John, John is right there right now. (laughs) Which is great. So you started over, right? You went back to the drawing board. You're doing it again. But like, we can't rely on who we were yesterday to dictate who we're going to be tomorrow. Like, that's not how life works. Who you are today in this moment is who you are. Like, you can't predict what's going to happen in the future. Life's going to happen. Maybe you get an injury. Maybe you get a new girlfriend. Maybe you move out of state. Maybe you can't find a job. You don't know what's going to happen in the future. Anything that already happened in the past, that's just gone. You can't fix it. There's nothing you could do about it. You might have been a world champion back then, and then suddenly you gained 50 pounds because of an injury, and now you can have a choice. Do I sit here and feel depressed about the person I've become, or do I make a better me? And the only way to do that is in the moment to say, I now need to start over. I will start over right now because there is no fucking tomorrow. That does not exist. That will always be a fantasy. You know what happens when tomorrow comes up? You're literally in the present and then there will be another tomorrow and another tomorrow. You never get there. And maybe you die. Maybe you have an injury. Maybe you have a lifelong thing that you can't foresee that's going to happen in the future. But if you don't have one now, what's stopping you from improving yourself now? Nothing other than our own ego and us being terrified of starting over. It's okay if you did jujitsu, martial arts, taekwondo, and had to stop. And it's okay to go back and not be as good. That's all right. You went back. That's what matters. I feel like there's a lot. Oh, go ahead, John. Well, I always tell everyone when I talk to them, like, for me, life so far is, like, every 10 years, it's totally different. I'm never where I think I'm going to be 10 years later. (laughs) It's just so bizarre. You know, You, you go back 10 years, you're not the same person you are now. And you can keep doing that, and you're not going to be the same person 10 years from now. It's just interesting. I mean, shit, yeah. I, I I find that like every five years, you know? Like, <laughs> shit, like to hell, sometimes I wake up and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> you know? I, I go through that with my wife and I right now, because like, we've been together for coming up on, uh, we've been married for three years, but we've been together for like over seven. And uh, we look at our lives and we're like, who would have fucking thought? You know, like five years ago, we're struggling, you know, paycheck to paycheck. You know what I mean? Like, and uh, I would have never have thought of, you know, joining martial arts or something like that. And and I was just working out. But and life now is like we have a, a, a relatively successful podcast. I get to interview cool people like you. And, uh, you know, it's like it's you just don't know where life is going to take you. All you can do is make the best decision when it's when it's given mm-hmm. to you. You know what I mean? And it's the same thing. Like you just said. If if you have to take a break from jujitsu, that's okay, man. Like like it, it'll always be there. It's not like jujitsu is going to end or any martial arts going to end. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I had to make a decision, like a couple decisions over the years, and like I said, about five years. It's been when my changes come, and they're just natural. I don't force them. It's just how life goes. It's roughly about that time. Um, but you know, that there was definitely been times where I've had to just stop. I mean, my job is calling out some of the most gross things that you could possibly see in the martial arts industry from rape to fraud to negligence to child's dying, like really, really horrific things that I've covered over the last decade of doing McDojo life. And when you see that every day, it kind of makes you jaded about being in this industry. And I couldn't help it. I had to take a break away from it because I just hated it. And I was like, I know that there's good here. And I know that this is my own personal experiences of diving into this dark world. And that's why I feel the way I do. And I know that it has benefit because it's had benefit of my life. But I had to take a break. And I had to realize at that moment, there's more to life than just martial arts. Mm -hmm. 
It's okay to learn a second hobby. It's okay to not go every goddamn day. It's okay. Because as a kid, from the time I was 12 to roughly about 25 years old, it's all I did. Period. If I wasn't doing that, I was doing video games and that was it. That was my entire life. And then when you look back, I realized just how much I could have learned or how much other things that there were. And I, I you know, obviously I was in, in pursuit of something a lot different than I think most people are. But at the end of the day, whenever you go to a martial arts class, I think where people get taken advantage of is they forget that it's just a hobby. It's a hobby. We want it to be so much more than it really is, right? We want it to be this like deep, meaningful, impactful thing. But the truth is, is that you can get that exact same impact almost anything you do. If you were a football player, you're going to have camaraderie. You're going to have losses. It's going to suck to show up to train every day. You're going to have defeats. You're not going to be as good on your first day. You're going to get humbled the first time you get tackled. That same thing's going to be there. When you start learning guitar and your fingers start to bleed, you're going to get humbled when you start trying and realize that it's really, really difficult when you've never done anything musically. There's so many things that could do that for you, and it's okay to pursue those things as well. It's also okay as gym members to not heckle the person who left, but to welcome them when they come back. Because life happens. Because this is a personal journey. This isn't a team sport usually. This is an individual journey sport. And it's something that you can take breaks from, come back to, leave, come back, become better, become not. The average person who joins any martial arts program drops out between eight months to a year. That is a statistical fact. So if you or anyone out there have ever gone past eight months to a year, you're doing better than the majority of people who join. All right. So you're already beating them. Here's another fact for you. 75% of people who join martial arts never compete a day in their life. That means the majority of people who go to martial arts classes have no need want to actually go compete against another human being and don't. So at the end of the day, it's okay to have your own personal goals with your martial arts. If you want to just go because it's fun and you don't want to be a world champion, cool. If you want to go because you like it, cool. If you suck at it, cool. If you're great at it, cool. All of that is cool. Just the fact that you're doing something is awesome. You know? Yeah. My son is in it also. And his daughters were in it with him too, but they both, they do other things now. And I told my son, uh, look, if, if you, my oldest, I was like, if you don't want to do jujitsu, that's, that's perfectly fine, man. Like, I don't, I don't mind if you don't want to do it. It's just something that you're in now because it teaches, it gives you an authoritative figure outside of the family that holds you accountable and shows you things. And is a teacher to you, you know what I mean? It's like a, it's a, a, an adult to also look up to. And so I told him like, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. You just find another uh, activity. I don't care what it is. As long as you have a coach and someone that can hold you accountable and show you how to do it, then just, just go right ahead. Because I think that is what, um, martial arts is probably the, the, not only like the confidence and stuff like that, but you know, there's other things too, that comes from it that is invaluable. You know what I mean? That kids have to, in my opinion, kids have to have in their life. You know what I mean? You ever watch the movie Shogun Assassin? Uh-uh. I think oh, I have. Dude. Is that on dude, Netflix? Uh, I don't know if it's on Netflix right now, but if it is, I'm going to go watch it like today. Uh, but <laughs> it's like this great, it's like technically a movie series. It's like there was a ton of these movies made, but Shogun's Assassin is like the best one. And it's like from something in the cub. I forget the, the name of it. But Shogun's Assassin, the very beginning of that movie, he has a baby and the baby is crawling or whatever. And he takes a sword and he stabs it into the tatami mat and he takes a ball, like a soccer ball, and he puts it next to him on the other side of him. 
and the baby's like wandering. And during that, he's doing a monologue saying like, this is the baby's choice. If he wants to become a warrior, he'll walk over to the sword. And if he stays there, I'll teach him the way of the sword. If the baby wants to come over here, then I'll make sure that that's what he gets to do. And he can pursue other things other than being a warrior. And so, of course, the, the whole idea is that the baby picks the sword and then he teaches the baby to be a warrior. But it's 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 a very like really insightful thing in that movie to think that he's not forcing this down the kid's throat because he understands that teaching his child isn't about what his goals are. He's not forcing the child to live vicariously through his losses and things he can't accomplish himself. Like, oh, I, you know, back in my day, I played a little college ball. So you're going to play the goddamn football, son. Like, it's, what what if he wants to play piano? Like, let the motherfucker play. Like, because at the end of the day, what's going to happen when he becomes an adult or anyone becomes an adult? You're just going to do the things you like. Like, mm-hmm. discipline True. is so funny that way. Like, most people won't watch. Like, I personally don't do this. You don't watch season five, episode three of a show that sucked ass on the pilot episode. You know, like you stop watching the movie. Like, it's not discipline, it's torture. If I had to sit there and watch this crappy show over and over and over again, that's not discipline. That's me just suffering through some crap I don't want to do, right? And so it's the same thing with, like, your activities, man. Like, maybe he's going to be a great magician. Hell, he might be the best stripper on the planet. We don't know. Let him find out. That's their life. That's what art, That's what life is. You figure it out as you go. Shoving it down someone's throat. Think about it. Whenever somebody forces you to do some shit, do you want to do it? No. Like, no. you want you do things and you <laughs> do things because you like it, you know? So I think that's so important for parents to remember. Like, stop helicopter parenting your fucking kid. Like, it's okay if he's not having a good day. It's okay if they don't want to do that shit. All right, cool. What do you want to do? Well, if you got no other answer, that's different. But if you want to do this, if you, if yeah. you feel like no longer, it's run its course for you, that's okay. Let's find something that you can stick to, you know? Have you seen The Art of Self-Defense? Oh, Absolutely. So Absolutely. And Riley Stern, by the way, <laughs> is dope. And I want to show you something. Oh, <laughs> show and tell stuff, guys. So if you're not watching this on YouTube, you're messing up. So this, oh, nice. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. this is the master's poster that they have on the wall behind them for The Art of Self-Defense. And when Riley Stern wrote this and started putting it out there, he himself at the time, I think he might be a brown belt now, was a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu purple belt. And so when he wrote this movie and he wound up putting it out there, he followed the page and he like was hyping this up and telling me all about it. And so I started sharing, sharing it and like hyping it up. And he actually sent me a copy of it before it was released. And I got to give him a shout out. And he sent me this, which was really, really cool. So I keep this in my office. Um, And I don't know if anybody really recognizes that guy or not. Do you recognize that guy? Yeah, it's the it's the grandmaster or whatever, right? The guy with like the rainbow belt or whatever. Yeah, but the the actor is the same actor. I do believe that was in Breaking Bad and um, oh, you know, all the the chicken shop fronts, you know. <laughs> yeah, that I think that movie uh, is great. When John John watched it first and then he showed it to me, my favorite part is it makes fun of the things that we deem normal in martial arts. You know what I mean? So it's it's good because it, you're like. God damn it, man. That's fucking true. But the stripes when they were yeah. so worked up about the stripes. Yeah, but. you know, like promotions and stuff like that. I mean, the cool down isn't real. I don't know of any guy that actually does cool downs like that. But I thought it was great, man, because it 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 pays homage to these weird cultural things that we do and like to the outside world. They're like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Well, 
I think that what it did was it showed how culty things can turn when yes, you have somebody agreed. in charge who is selfish. Like um, the, you know, we, we filmed the documentary about fakes, frauds, ponies, con men in the martial arts industry and stuff like that. But we talked to psychologists and we talked to cult experts and we talked to ex cult members and we talked to cult leaders. Um, and during that time, something that my personal understanding of how I view a cult now is a lot different than I used to. You know, I used to think that people who joined cults were very stupid and, you know, they, they're worse than sometimes the leader. I don't feel that way anymore because my understanding personally of what a cult is now has changed. From what I've seen, martial arts, religion, and cults are only like a line step away from each other. Like, let me give you an example. Have you, have you ever been to a Catholic mass? Mm-hmm. Okay. So every year I'm not Catholic, I'm agnostic. Um, but every year I would go to a Catholic mass, uh, for like the, what is it? it it's the fucking thing they do like before Ash, Christmas yeah. Ash right Wednesday before or whatever Christmas, like Christmas Eve, they would have this like big Catholic mass or whatever. So I would go. And when I go, I go because my best friend's mom would go and she wanted us to go. And she's like, you know, trying to save our souls and such. So I, I, you know, I go. And so every year though, like we went to one specific church for a very long time. And then after that, we went to another and I noticed that there was little differences, but very similar. For instance, when you walk into a martial arts dojo, some dojos bow at the door and bow at the mat. Some Mm. don't bow at all, but some bow at the door and the mat just depends on the school you go to and depends on the art. If you go to a Catholic mass or Catholic church, when you walk forward, some Catholic churches have like a bowl, like a holy water before you even walk to the pews. And I guess for lack of better words, anoint yourself. Um, and then you walk forward. Cause again, I'm not Catholic. So this is just my understanding. Then when you go to the pew though, some churches don't have that holy water at all. Some you take a knee right before you go into the pew and you do the same thing. Well, that's like martial arts school. So that's very identical behavior. Well, then if you go into a Catholic mass, when you sit down, everyone's on one side of the room and there's one person standing up teaching you a lesson. Well, martial arts is very similar. We're all on one side of the room and there's one person on the other side of the room showing the lesson. Okay. Well, behind the Catholic priest is usually stained glass, a photo or a statue of Jesus Christ. Well, behind your instructor is usually on the wall in most martial arts studios, one of their instructors who came before them, usually a big picture of them, right? That's pretty similar. In Catholic church, there's this part where everything stops, everyone stands up and starts shaking each other's hands. Well, at the end of every jujitsu class or martial art class I've ever been to ever, usually there's some type of end of class, handshake, high five, bump, whatever, right? Almost identical. So what's really the big difference here? Well, the only real difference is, is what the information is that that person's teaching you. In a Catholic church, they're teaching you a religion. And it's not supposed to be coming to them. Nothing's really supposed to be coming to them. It's supposed to be going to you. All that information is supposed to be going out to you. And a martial arts school, the instructor usually isn't getting much out of that class other than teaching technique. It's not supposed to be coming to them. It's supposed to be going to you. The information is for you. That's why you're there is for them to give. And a church, that's what the priest is supposed to be doing, giving, right? The only thing that changes this into a cult is when the leader decides it's no longer about giving to you, but it's about receiving from you. Then it becomes a cult. Hmm. Then it becomes something that you're being taken advantage of because it's disguised as something with all of these religious connotations, with all of these rituals that are hidden in there. And all of that is supposed to benefit you in some way, but the moment it doesn't benefit you and only benefits the leader, then it becomes a cult. Yeah, it's, 
I came from we came from CrossFit side, and people always joke about they're uh-huh. like they're like uh they're like CrossFit's a cult. I'm like, oh, fuck it, one hundred percent. Yeah, these people are brainwashed. <laughs> I love CrossFit, I love fitness, but yeah, the people are hundred percent fucking brainwashed. And I see it too in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, right? Like people always talk about like, oh, we're the superior martial art or blah blah blah. Like we, we can we can never get our butts kicked by anyone until you run into someone that's bigger and badder than you. You know what I mean? And it's 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 so funny the culture of like like people don't want to admit that it's kind of culty, but it's it's, it's kind of culty. It's like you know what I mean. Yeah, well, one of the most culty things that I've seen actually does come, and not every jujitsu studio does this, but one of the most culty things I've seen does come from jujitsu, and it's a term called the crianch. You ever heard this? Uh, I know the word. I just don't know what it means. Yeah, and I'm not Brazilian or I'm not Portuguese. I don't speak Portuguese. So it could be Cronte or Cronche. I don't have the accent, man. I'm from the South. All right. This is what you get. All right. But that term, it basically was based off of a soap opera character who was very shady and backstabbing and a traitor. Right. And so now a lot of gyms will use that. If somebody just simply goes and trains at another gym one time, they'll call him a traitor. It's like, mm. why? Like, if your goal, again, this is where it becomes culty. It only hurts the leader's feelings. It benefits the student leaps and bounds to step out of their comfort zone and go train at different places. And then that person can bring that information back to your school and make you all better with that information that they brought back. Rather than looking at the whole and the greater good, the instructors who use that term are cult leaders. I don't give a shit who you are. I don't care what your black belt says. I don't care how long you've been doing it. I don't care what organization you are or what your lineage is. The moment you start downing your students for trying to better themselves in any way, shape or form, you're running a cult and you're a piece of shit. <laughs> we, we talked to a lot of black belts and uh, luckily we haven't ran into anyone yet that is like, no, my fucking students will never go train with anyone else. I think that hopefully, I mean, I'm sure you see it a lot more than we do, but uh, hopefully that's starting to get pushed out a little bit as the new generation of black belts, the people that, you know, are a little bit more open-minded and uh, socially aware um, start to take over. And the older ones are kind of getting pushed a little bit more to the side. But I think, I think most people, I, I don't know, I've never heard of anyone that we've talked to that was like, no. you're not going to train with anyone. I think the only, the thing that came close to that, and it's not even remotely close is one of the guys we interviewed he said yeah i don't mind if my guys go cross train i would just be careful if you're an active competitor on where you go because you might go against someone that you're going to compete against and that was that like his only his only like warning about cross training yeah for sure it's it you know i get it a lot when i i call out gyms for various fraudulent activities or various things that they've done that are shady and they try to cover up like for instance get this i we talked about this little bit before we got on air, but this was like something that was super culty that happened recently. So I called out this guy. Um, his name's Carl Massaro, and he was dating a woman named Maggie Holmes. And they dated for like four years. They started dating when he was 40 and she was 18, right? I mean, it, it, you're, you're adults, but that's still a little creepy to me, but that's my own opinion. So anyway, so they dated, they had a very rough relationship. It was very toxic to say the least. And then they broke up. Well, later on down the road, not too long ago, I want to think maybe six months now previous, uh, Maggie Holmes had gone on a podcast, a podcast called the Rear Naked Chicks podcast. When she went on there, she discussed how toxic the relationship really was. And I mean, it was really gross things. If you want to hear about what she said and all that good stuff, you can just go there, right? Not plugging them. I'm just saying that if you want context. And so then after that, they released 
screenshots. It's like 18 minute long video, I think, off the top of my head of like screenshots of just how psycho this dude is, right? Is like he had set up multiple phone numbers in order to continue to contact her after they had broken up. And when she'd block or delete or ignore one of the phone numbers, he would just make another one. And then he would just like keep contacting her this way. And so after they posted that, uh, he posted a, uh, a, a statement on his Instagram. Like basically he called them liars. Um, and I was like, nope, they're not lying because I contacted <laughs> clear cuts me. Yeah. I contacted them and they sent me an entire Google drive of, text messages, screenshots, wow. a police report, all kinds of things, right? So then I contacted them and I also contacted him and I was like, "Hey dude, like I'm I'm doing a story about this. Do you have like a statement or any proof or anything like that?" So he did say he was going to send me proof of things. He never sent me proof of anything, but he did release a statement. It was a four-page document talking about all the things that they had wrong. And one of the most blatant that stood out to me was he said, "I never stalked Maggie." That was a bullet point, right? Well, that's funny because when he released that statement to me, I already had the police report that literally labeled his activity as stalking and harassment. So like when he said that and he's calling these women liars and frauds and things like that, in my mind, I'm like, that's really fucked up. So I did a story about that. Did a full story. It's like two hours long on my, my YouTube channel, right? But get this, the Rear Naked Chicks podcast, all of those ladies, there were three ladies on that podcast. One, her name is Jordan. She was mentioned in his statement. She left that organization because the organization knew dead to rights that Carl did these activities and they refused to do anything about it. And he has a track record of these things, mm -hmm. right? So he, she leaves because they're not doing anything about it. The other two ladies are still involved with the organization, not his school per se, but the organization itself. So those two ladies get contacted by the owner of, or the head of their school. And because his name was mentioned hardly in passing, because he didn't say anything. And he knew. I like I have text messages of this guy literally saying how much he hates Carl and how Carl is a liar and how Carl manipulates the truth. I have text messages of him saying this. So when it came time for him to stand up and do something about it, rather than standing up and being a grown-ass man and saying, you know what? I do know this guy's a fraud. He's toxic for our industry. We got to get him out of here because it's the right thing to do. And all the shit he would say behind this guy's back, he doesn't back it at all. He rather goes to these two ladies who were not mentioned in any of this, by the way, these two ladies who were also involved in the podcast, he goes to them and gives them an ultimatum. So they could either leave the podcast and stay with the school or leave the school and stay with the podcast. So they, this is really fucked up about this too, they chose to leave the podcast and stay with the school, which is insane wow. to me because they were the one of the original three who kept pushing to fix this in the industry. And when it came time to just be inconvenienced, by going to another school, they couldn't fucking do it. They couldn't man up. And obviously these are women, so they couldn't woman up to be able to stand on their, their morals and say, you know what? This is wrong. I'm going to take a stand here. Fuck you. Like, you know damn well what you did. You know that you're covering up for this guy. And you know what? I'm going to go even further since I'm pissed off about this shit. I'm going to read his fucking text messages. I don't give a shit if anybody reads it or hears it. Like, this dude's a piece of garbage for this. Hold on. Let me find these text messages. I have them right here. Dude, this this irritates me so much because this is a dude who is like clearly aware of like the wrongdoings and things that's going on. And he chose like to, to do nothing. Oh, here we go. This is fun. Dave. Dave is his name. Uh, Dave, if you're listening, kiss my ass two times for being a coward. <laughs> um, you know, hold on. Let's see here. Uh, hold on. I... 
He labels Carl as very deceitful. He spends the truth. Um, when talked about like the abuse, he says, I agree. Um, let's see here. Oh, Carl changes his story. Carl bitches. Um, uh, let's see here. What is, what else did he got on here? Um, I no longer wish to speak with anything about Carl anymore. I want nothing to do with him. Um, I was spending over an hour on the phone per day on this topic at a time. My family requires undivided attention is very serious health issue, uh, which is not a problem at all. Um, oh, to me, uh, me too. Uh, he changes the story when he tells it. So he knows, dead to rights, this guy is a fucking liar. He knows by personal relationship as being another black belt in that organization that Carl does this shit and chose rather than standing up like a grown ass man and saying what he was willing to say behind the scenes and coming forward and speaking out against it to stop the harassment and stop this from happening to other people. You know what? I think I'll just stay out of it. Bitch, you didn't stay out of it behind the scenes. You were talking <laughs> shit about this man. Like, like I'm not like I'm talking shit about you right now. Could you possibly beat me up? Absolutely. I'm sure you could. Do I give a shit? No, because it's still wrong to cover up for somebody who knows a piece of garbage. Like it just blows my mind how these people could be so tough and brody. I'm a black belt. I can do all these things, but you can't speak your mind. You could talk shit about this guy behind the scenes, but when it comes time, the truth comes out, you want to hide. That's fucking terrible. And then to have the audacity to tell these women that they need to leave this podcast because his name was mentioned in passing, man, fuck you. What a bitch. Sorry. Rant over. You're good. <laughs> I'm surprised they'd leave their podcast. Yeah. Just go to a different school. It'd be simple. I don't understand. Like, I, well, I don't know if, uh, if, we, we had a little bit of controversy in our podcast when we first started, too, within our school. And uh, it, we never were offered an ultimatum. But John and I were like, look, if you don't like what we're saying, talking about our journey, then don't listen to the fucking podcast. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, we're literally documenting our journey, what we like and what we don't like. Like, you know, it's like people people have I wouldn't say fragile egos. But when uh, the truth, when they hear the truth, sometimes they're like, how the fuck could you say that? It's like, well. <laughs> easy i i said it because it's true <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what i mean it's it just kind of that's like we were talking about the cultiness of things right and so that's like extremely culty like and and then these women who originally were like standing up for the the rights of women in jujitsu to not be harassed and really helped start the fire when it came time to just have a minor inconvenience for a hobby they were like, you know what? It's okay. We're just going to let this one slide. I know we called you all these things, and I know we spoke about how much of a piece of garbage you are, but the inconvenience is just a little too much now. Like, get out of here, man. What? Like, that to me, that's cowardly behavior. And also, I don't just blame them for that. I blame that instructor because he put them in that situation as well, even though he knew what was going on. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Rob, this was a, a great interview, man. I, I had a blast. Can't believe time's flown by that fast. I, my kid's outside screaming and yelling, running through the house. So, <laughs> John, you got anything else for him? Uh, you know, just what would you tell a practitioner that's new to the martial arts journey right now? I'd give it anywhere from day one to six months in. What's one good piece of advice you could give them? Set goals and have fun. Like if you set tangible goals, you'll try to reach them. If you have no tangible goals, like things that you can actually achieve in your day-to-day -day training, eventually you'll quit because you have no real reason to be there. Um, and then the other thing is it should be fun. Like if you're not enjoying it, 
don't do it. Like do the thing that makes you happy because at the end of the day, whether it be jujitsu, whether it be Taekwondo, karate, hell, even Aikido, you know, if it makes you happy and you feel like it's helping you reach your personal goals, that's what matters at the end of the day. Completely agree. We always tell people you got to have micro and macro goals. You got to have small goals that you can uh, accomplish in a short amount of time. And then that leads to that, that big goal, whether it be your black belt or competing or winning a competition or whatever goal setting is going to be the best way to ensure that your journey is exactly where you want it to go. So that's a great answer, Rob. Thank you very much. If people want to follow you and see all your amazing content and you calling out all these terrible people, where can they find you at? Yeah, man, you can pretty much find me anywhere. Like right now, we've been pumping out a ton of stuff on our YouTube channel, which is McDojo Life on YouTube. We're McDojo Life on YouTube, Instagram. uh, We're the McDojo Life on Facebook because we're trying to rebuild because we got kicked off for some freaking reason years ago. Um, So we're rebuilding. We were finally able to get back on. Um, And then on Reddit, we're the McDojo Life. There is a guy, by the way, on Reddit, and his page is called McDojo Life. He just took my name and... uh, I got to tell you, it's really irritating because the guy knows he did it and he's just kind of like trolling a little bit, but he's going to have a really hard time with that when he starts to learn about things called copyright infringement and trademark infringement. He's going to have a really hard time when he gets that letter. So I really hope that he's listening and he understands where this is going next. Sorry, bro. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Dana White with all the piracy. They're like, no, go ahead and keep. We're going to find you. We're going to find you. Like what he doesn't understand is for every follower that that he gains by using my name and posing as me, what's going to wind up happening is that adds dollar amounts to the amount I can sue him for because that's potential people who should have been following me, which hypothetically could be leading them to actually viewing more videos that I post on my YouTube, money which business. is direct monetization for me to be able to continue to call out frauds. So like, I, I mean, I think I called out three rapists last week, last week alone in the martial arts industry. So I'm trying to do some good here, but you can't do that when you have no money to do so. Like it's my full-time job and I'm not getting paid hand over fist to do this by any means. So every little nickel and dime this guy takes from me, it really does hurt at the end of the day. I'm not some big, huge conglomerate. You know, it's like I'm trying to do right. Most of my money goes right back into this job. So um, I really hope that at the end of the day, he will realize that when I'm standing across from him in court in a suit, that he fucked up. (laughs) Well, we appreciate everything that you're doing, man. I think it's a lot of your videos are hilarious. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, some of them are, are real things that are going on. Uh, I wish it was, you know, like the old terrible movies, but it's it, it, unfortunately it's true that these people are out there. So thank you so much for for finding these people and and making a platform to where we can hopefully, like you said, get these toxic people out of our martial arts and jujitsu culture, so we can actually move forward and become more of a household name. So thanks for coming on the show today, too, man. I, I love all your stuff. So. Appreciate y'all, man. Thank you for talking shot with me. Yeah, no problem at all. So uh, thank you, everyone, for watching at home. Be sure to give us a five-star review, iTunes, Spotify, uh, YouTube, social media, Instagram, all that stuff. Uh, Elbows tight everywhere. Elbows tight pod on Instagram. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening and watching. And uh, remember, no oil checks here. All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks.